There is a powerful intelligence within nature that is so profound, so eye-opening and an absolute pleasure to explore, which is exactly what we do in this podcast with Cheryl and Darcy. Sherilyn has over 30 years experience studying the relationship between plants and people and is author to over 20 books and oracle cards including The Language of Flowers and Plants, Flowerpedia and her latest The Language of House Plants. Sherilyn is a trained botanical alchemist, artist, educator and independent natural history scholar. Sherilyn's work focuses on the spiritual, cultural, therapeutic and physical connections between humans and plants. Sherilyn finds a nice balance within the science and the magic of our interconnectedness within the natural world. In this podcast, we discuss basic and simple tips for organic gardening, how to get started, learn along the way, and that it's not all about getting the perfect cabbage leaf, right through to remembering our ancestral ways of relating to plants and our symbiotic relationship with the natural world. I'm Jenny Madison, and I'm thrilled to bring you Cheryl and Darcy to the Lionheart Podcast, Episode 6. Cheryl, and welcome to the Lionheart Podcast. I've been so excited to have you here. Your work and your message is so incredibly unique and creative. And I love watching you speak. I love watching your videos. You are like a sunflower. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I've popped up here. That's nice. <laughs> do you know what I mean by that? Like a sunflower, like this radiant? Yes, I do. Sunny, happy, strong, hopefully as well. And uh, yeah, I guess I'm a happy soul like a sunflower. I do know what you mean. So surely some of that happiness comes from your connection with nature, would you say? Mm, absolutely. It, it is where my happiness is found. It's where it grows. It always has been. I'm a forest person, a land person, a plant person more than anything. And I find everything I need there. And I definitely, definitely find my happiness there. It's where I'm, I'm myself. And I guess where you can be yourself is where you find your happiness. And that would be... For all human beings, don't you think? Isn't it just something about nature? And it is. And I think we all find a, a different place in nature as well. Uh, some people are more connected, I guess, to the water. Some people are more connected to different types of environments, like land environments and plants as well. But I think we've just become... I think most of the problems we have is because we've become slowly stretched away from nature and, and even in some cases completely divorced from it. So it's hard to find that way back sometimes. And But once you do and find the actual place, yeah, your heart's filled with happiness again or you know how to find your way back easier, it, much more easily, I think. That is so true, Cheryl, mm. that is so true. It is, it is it's, a, it's a disconnect that... Um, oh, yeah that has happened and um and so a big part of your work would you say is helping people to find that connection again to come back home absolutely a lot of my work the things that i write and create and and the presentations and workshops i teach that's what it's about it's not about me sharing some new thing at all it's it's reconnecting you and helping you remember those things helping you remember the language of flowers and of plants as well helping you remember how to find your place and also how to 
find ways to use plants in your life because there was a time when our very physical survival depended on it way back when we were hunters and gatherers and then when we were the first farmers as well we needed to be able to recognize the plants of the seasons we needed to be able to recognize what could heal us what could nourish us as well and unfortunately the last probably you know 50 years or so most of us, unfortunately, the way we see our, our fresh produce is wrapped in plastic. A case in point, a lot of people I speak with, they love chamomile tea, but when you show them a chamomile flower, they don't recognise it as such. Not at all. They just see it as the chopped up little dried flowers in, in a, well, maybe not even in a packet, sometimes just in a bag. So it's that coming back and remembering and remembering what things in nature look like, what they're for as well, and having those connections. And that's what I try to do and it's just through sharing what I already know just through my experience and when you speak about the language because I know mm-hmm. you wrote a whole book a whole book <laughs> called the language of plants and flowers yes a couple and of them yeah <laughs> a couple of them so mm-hmm. can you just go into that a little bit more I mean I have read the book and it's quite scientific the secret life of plants and that yes. goes into the science behind the mm-hmm. energy transmissions so Mm-hmm. Did you relate to that as well? A hundred percent. Yes, a hundred percent. This is uh, the language. I think a lot of people are aware of the language of flowers, that term, and it's a, a term that comes to us from the Victorian era, which was picked up at the time from the different uh, families and courts of the sort of Middle Asia, and it was brought back to England and to France as well. And it was a way of recognising flowers particularly and their emotional qualities, the things that could change our emotions, which would then spur us on for a physical healing, which is what flower essences is based on. Mm. Unfortunately, it's through the years, things have been changed slightly, rewritten, lost in translation. And a lot of the Victorian language of flowers while they're quite sweet, some of the little gift books that you see, and they're always by anonymous, they've lost the actual essence, the the beginning of the meanings. But these meanings are connected with the doctrine of signatures, which people who use any herbal medicines, as I said, flower essences, aromatherapy would be aware of, and that's the way a plant looks interacts in its environment, the way that it grows, where it grows as well, will give us an indication of the therapeutic qualities. And this is where this is all based, this language of plants and flowers. So it is the doctrine of signatures in a way that we can pass along an oral history and an oral prescribing of these things, because that's what people used to do. They didn't before the, these books were even written, they, they put these things out and share them with people through little stories of plants. It's beautiful. And so we can learn from your books mm-hmm. how to select flowers or select flower essences to help us if we have ailments. Or Well, I, I felt like there was at the books that you've mentioned as well and ones that, that I study and, and places I study, I think there's a lot of books like that 
And the science of botany is a great passion of mine. I absolutely adore it. And it's where all my work starts. And But then there's a lot of things that are um, very esoteric. And I think a lot of people feel that either of them, the very heavy science parts and the very esoteric parts, they find that that can be difficult, challenging, very time-consuming perhaps to... And it, not really, if you really want to get in there. But I felt like I could somehow with my work build a little bridge between both of them so that people could be part of the conversation. So my things, they're not a dumbed-down version at, at all. They are in the middle. They're based on science. They talk about the esoteric things as well. And they are the beginning of the conversation so people can have really easy references and lead them on to the past that they'd like to explore within this to connect closer to nature again. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I love the sound of that. And I'm just going to backtrack a, a tad. You spoke about how, you know, now that many of us receive, you know, we live in a commercial environment. Mm -hmm. Food is quite often packaged and mm -hmm. we buy it in its packaging. And that in the ancient times we would rely on the plants and trees for our survival but really there is still that symbiotic relationship we do still rely on them for our survival and I'm not even just speaking about food now I mean what about the trees and you know to breathe <laughs> absolutely absolutely we need well we need each other we're breathing in and out aren't we? we're exchanging um, gases in order for us both to survive so we need that and there's a great deal of research on this as well that trees are connected and speak to each other and they speak to us too because the more attractive they are the more they give us in fruits and in shade and shelter the more likely we are to plant them so as a wonderful author the name of Michael Pollan and he's written a wonderful book uh, The Botany of Desire and there's also a fantastic PBS documentary which I adore and I always recommend and it is about that relationship that you're speaking about it's quite clever it's like we think we're attract we're the that all these plants are there and, and we're just using what we like, but what if they're trying to attract us? And he makes really good cases for this and using tulips as example, potatoes as another example as well. And, and yeah, I quite can see that, how we both need each other to, and actually apples as well. These things were only all in one small place in, in the world and now they're everywhere because we're very attracted to them and we plant them. They've made themselves attractive because their job's survival as well. Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful relationship and that's also something we forget about because we can buy our food so easily. <laughs> yes. And you've got to remember way back when, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that we only had a small amount of plants around us, really, compared to what we do now. We didn't have introduced, you know, rarely was there an introduced species. There wasn't a marketplace that had things from, you know, all across the land at our front door. And this is why sometimes when I teach my students and they say, oh, I can never remember, I'll never remember all the meanings and, and the attributes of different plants, like how do you do it? And my answer is, well, I don't because, you know, really as humans, we were only really programmed to remember probably 100 or so plants that were we were using all the time, but now we have access to so many more. So this is where, of course, books and, and studying and, and these sorts of things help out. But it's interesting. This is why I always say wherever you are, find out about 
the plants around you because they're going to be the most important ones because whatever's on the land that you're living in and where you're breathing is going to be the first line of uh, defense and help and source of happiness as well. It's so true. That is so true. They're like family, really. Oh, yes, they are. They're very much like family. And I was having a chat with some people today about everybody was worried about how do we drought proof? And, and this is a really physical science sort of question. And people were saying, oh, well, the plants died. And I said, well, really, the, the most of the plants that died were introduced, you know, and, and I have introduced plants. I've got a vegetable garden and a herb garden and a couple of favourite flowers as well. But our native plants, you, you know, I was affected just on the fringe by bushfires but not directly but definitely by the extreme heat in the summer but my native plants are you know they got a bit battered but they're okay they're coming back they're okay they're meant to be here so we've got there's a lot of lessons there from those and that comes from experience yes it does <laughs> yes it comes from experience so you work with food Mm -hmm. plants as food and flowers as medicine and also plants that are non-edible yeah you work with everything you are is that what the garden green witch stands for <laughs> well it does and i think the thing is that the term well i know the term green witch has been stretched out again uh, a lot i've seen it reference it's just any witch that's into nature and they they do things with nature and i would actually argue that any witch or somebody who follows a pagan or a nature-based path there the word nature would be a nature witch and would be a green witch in that sense but actually the term green witch means somebody who works directly with plants and develops a relationship with them as well and that's a spiritual and it is a physical relationship i know when seeds are, are birthing i understand when it's time for them to die i know what's a perennial what's an annual i develop a relationship and a deep connection and that's what a green witch is and of course a green witch has an overriding passion and a purpose to look after the land on which the plants grow as well so it's plants first and you find the green witches are the gardeners the herbal medicine people the aromatherapists it, it's plants that's what their focus is so what about bugs and critters and <laughs> all the other wonderful creatures that are part of nature and yeah. sometimes helpful and sometimes not so helpful? Well, just like, like we, we can be a pest as well. <laughs> we can sure. be helpful. Well, they're all part of it. They're absolutely all part of it. And they're, they're things that you have to observe. And, and well, I teach this as well when I'm mm -hmm. sharing with people is how to to encourage the pollinators and how to decrease the pests as well and that they're a fact of life and the same as failures are a fact of life and pests overriding your garden at times are a fact of life. I've actually got uh, a small crop of radishes and a whole lot of them have just been eaten up by I haven't quite decided what at the moment. And, you know, the gardeners that might be listening to this will be like, wow, usually radishes are okay. And I do have to get out there and say, wow, what did that, <laughs> you know? And it's, you know, we have our failures as well. And there are lessons and there are way to learn. But, yeah, it's, um, and I will look into that, those insects, where are they from, why are they here? And they give us all indications, of course, to our, um, our gardens. And the same as animals do that might come in and out. I have... Where I live on the central coast of New South Wales, I'm about an hour north of Sydney, and I have prolific bird life, prolific parrot life. In fact, 
I'm glad we're doing this at night because whenever I'm on the phone or on a talk in the daytime, people assume I've got caged parrots and I'm like, no, no, that's just the parrots. So they bring so much to the garden and they also, I have to watch out because the cockatoos love all my sunflowers <laughs> as well. So I have to get in there before they do. But I do leave them. I leave them some. We share. We share. I we, plan. Share. we share. That's how I see it too, except... Yeah. There's one thing, we have pecan trees on our land. Oh. We don't get any. We don't get any. The cockatoos are just straight out. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we just go, okay, that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, that's it. For pe- you have to, yeah, you have to find something they don't like. That's it. It'll be quicker. But, yeah, I suppose, yeah, because they, they do come down in big flocks, don't they? That's what I find too. <laughs> and they make that noise. And, you know, you were saying that you have the sound of the birds. You know, mm. we have cicadas. Ah, oh, kind of cicadas, <laughs> right? Yeah, we have them. So, yeah, sometimes some years are, are more than than others, but definitely we have the cockatoos, corellas, a lot of rainbow lorikeets, which are my favourite birds, and we have butcher birds and magpies and currawongs. Oh, and so many other things, but they're the main the main ones that, that we have. So a lot of yeah, I just did say corellas, didn't I? Yes, they're cute. They're sort of ugly cute. That's what I think. So you're saying it's a bit of trial and error in the garden, but is there any any kind of tips you can give people who might be having, um, I don't know, my cabbage, a lot of my cabbage got, I pull out my, I take my cabbage leaves and they're full of holes. <laughs> I mean, look, it doesn't need to be perfect, right? So it's yeah, sort of- it doesn't. It doesn't need to be perfect. And the other thing is I think a lot of people who hear me on, on the air or, or wherever or they're getting advice from somewhere else or thinking about making a garden, it can seem like a very daunting thing and, and it can be because, uh, and I know people look at pictures of my gardens and other gardens and go, oh, that's what I want. But you need to start small. I started small here. I only moved here four years ago um, from Sydney. This is my forever home here now. And I was living in a smaller place and I've lived in apartments and all sorts of places, but I've always gardened in some capacity. But you have to start small. It's like anything, small steps. Now, if you go and invest in six above ground garden, you've never gardened before, say, I'm going for an extreme. Okay, so you, you put in six above ground garden beds and you decide on 20 different vegetables to plant and you're going to have all pots in between and do all this and then you sit there and just go right bang that that's you're going to be like an octopus trying to you know what have I done right did I plant this right it's too much it's just too much and in fact in permaculture they'll tell you to plant nothing for the first 12 months that you become the guardian of a garden that you soil is that what it is yes you need well no you have to observe observe the seasons observe where the wind's coming from like not just sort of say oh it's hot and cold it's like that no it's almost weekly daily what is going on how dry is the soil in the first week of may usually and things like this before you put your uh, plants in but i say that's a great idea in theory but i know we're all impatient and and we all want to get started so start small and start with you know three vegetables tomatoes it depends where you are you know where I am it'll be tomatoes lettuce and and I like doing sweet potatoes but put them in like an old bathtub or a big truck otherwise you'll end up with them all over the place but also as you said they're not going to look like they came from the supermarket Instagram's got a lot to answer for I I <laughs> I, I've seen some lovely Instagram gardening posts where the, here's my perfect, maybe that person did have one perfect cabbage and that's what they've taken, but they haven't given you the wide shot of all of them because it, it's a fact. And actually it's my, I do put my failures up and I do put things up that are ragged at times, but I thought 
2020, I'm going to put more up to of the reality of gardening. And, you know, in some crops, look, I had an amazing silver beet crop last year. I hardly had, I had a few little holes in things, but my gosh, my mother came to visit. She was like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like it. And this year, honestly, everything grew to about two inches high and just killed over and died. And it was, you know, I think I'm a really good gardener. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And sometimes that is the mystery, Jenny. It's trial and error. I think really this year it was just too hot at the time I put them in. But, you know, I thought about that afterwards. But the thing is, you've just got to try and have a look at what's suitable for your area as well and start small and build up each season as you get more confident with something. Same as our indoor gardeners. I know houseplants are, are a hot topic at the moment and I love my houseplants. But, you know, don't go out and buy 30 different houseplants that have all different needs and 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 know nothing about them like start with a few and see how you go and build from those like anything you'll find an interest in certain plants and certain things and uses what do you what do you you eat heaps of salads Mm. you probably need a rotation of lettuce all the time but you know like if you never eat coleslaw or things with cabbage in them it's probably silly to plant 20 cabbages but I've seen people do this and then it's like well what are you going to do with it (laughs) because it looks nice in the garden I'm not saying you Jenny but it's just you know that 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 is yeah that is what happens so have a (laughs) everything that you've just said not to do I did all of it (laughs) I I went huge and I just went like oh I'm on land garden 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 I just went plant everywhere and did the same thing inside my house I just got indoor plants everywhere I love all of it and you know when I go out and spend a day in the garden or however I go a few hours I come out feeling so much joy even I know my husband one day at the one time he goes you're so happy like you look so happy and then it clicked and I said I've just spent the whole day in the garden yeah I'm not kidding that that was I didn't kind of think about it myself until he said it that day and, and I'm like, well, a whole day in the garden, that's what <laughs> Oh, I, I get it. You know, my favourite thing, to, and I honest, honestly, this is my favourite thing, is weeding. I could sit and, like, well, I do, kneel down on the ground and just weed and just meticulously. I find that so relaxing. It's like a meditation and then when I look at it afterwards, you know, I think there's a lot to be said. And when people kind of, you know, get cranky, oh, I've got to go and weed, I'm like, you know what, I think you're doing it wrong. I think you need to come at it with the attitude of like it's just something methodical that needs to be done and it's just and make it that you I guess it's mindfulness. You know, you're just really present in the moment that you're clearing the earth, you're helping the plants grow, you're clearing space for them. But uh it actually is my favorite thing. It's you know, it's not getting out there planning. And, but that leads into finding that happiness, Jenny, is actually um, having this whole wholeness about gardening. Just It's not just about what becomes of it, what the harvest is. It's the actual being present for the whole year, like through all the seasons. And that's noticing. And it's even noticing times of rest in the garden when you mightn't be growing anything, but the soil's resting. So you're turning it over in your garden beds. I've got a few at the moment getting ready for winter crops and I'm turning the soil over. I'm We've got beautiful rain here at the moment, so I'm putting some fresh mulch down tomorrow. So it's just these, and as I said, it's all these small steps. You know, you don't have to have, oh, my gosh, that's it, the whole of Sunday this week's gardening. It's every day, just even 15 minutes, you know. And as I said, if you get to the point where you're starting to begrudge gardening or you're starting to think, oh, I have to hire somebody to do my gardening because I can't do it all, then your garden's too big. 
it's the bottom line. You know, <laughs> you need to bring it down because the more experienced you get, the larger your garden can get can be because then you know you can just walk over there and do five minutes. You can go over there and do 15 minutes, you know, every second day because it, it becomes part of you and you just get this. It's like driving a car, riding a bike. You just know where to go, what to do. So, but don't let it escape from you because then it, it becomes a chore and not the happiness like I can hear from you. <laughs> and it is um, a part of us. Nature is, we are a part of nature. We're not separate. And that's why it is so, and I'm going to use the word magical. <laughs> magic in there because it's not yeah. like when I watch a seed sprout, I'm like, it's like a baby is being born. Yes. It, and when I actually witness that and actually I'm a part of it. <laughs> it's kind of like, it is, it's truly beautiful. It's creation. And then to see yeah. that evolve into food plants or a plant mm -hmm. or a tree, mm -hmm. flower, it's just, and then to see the bees come and everything that is a part of everything. And that's, that's right. And it's just that and plants, all plant and all different plants, they live on a different time scale to us. Like trees live on this really, well, the larger trees live on this slower time scale that we can't appreciate. We don't live as long as trees do. And then we look at sunflowers that you mentioned at the beginning there, uh, you know, that they're an annual, they only have one short season and they don't even live a whole year. So their life from that, and I find they're a great example as you explain this, you know, this seed, a sunflower seed sprouts and then this enormous plant and this enormous flower and all those seeds, hundreds of seeds from this one little seed and it all happens within a few months because their time scale is so much shorter than us, you know, And but then they keep going, which brings us into the lineage and the memory of plants, which is something we don't click into is that plants are always, their memory keeps going. Like the ancient Egyptians firmly believed that if they had an idea or if they had a message for the future, they would tell a plant. They would go and sit down and, and, and actually talk to a plant because they knew that the plant would, you know, die, the seeds would go on, it would keep growing, and that idea would stay in the universe and that memory or that secret or whatever it was when they were dead, it would keep going. And because they understood that continuance and the legacy of plants that keeps going for people all the time. And, and that's how they passed on their wisdom yes. to generations. Yes, through the plants. I thought it was fantastic because they're one of our first civilizations that gardened for pleasure. That's what it's been, uh, and, and aromatherapists as well. They hooked into that and this idea of plant spirit and understanding the spirit that of the plant keeps going even through its generations is something that I find completely fascinating. And it I really know that that's where the happiness comes from. So that when something does die in my garden or this, even if it's died, it's a plant that's that's a, a perennial, it's a, a shrub or something like that, there is a continuance. There was seeds, there is, it's feeding the earth, you know, it's being part of our exchange of uh, gases as well so there's been a continuance i don't think it's actually gone and i find it easier to understand to be quite honest than even human life and what happens afterwards because i can see this continuance with plants it's a fascinating part of research that i'm forever looking into jenny forever you're referring here to the cycle of birth and death and birth and mm -hmm. death mm. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. But then appreciating that everything you can see it going on though. Yeah, it's it, with the same plant, and it does have the same energy. You know, we we can say, oh, this one sunflower has a slightly different energy from the next, but not really that much. You know, <laughs> it, we we really do look at it, and it's like, well, it it might evolve a little bit, but it's quite slow, and we can feel the same energy. It's not like sunflowers that were here a hundred years ago. And they did mean this to uh, Native Americans, you know, strength, power, fertility. The sunflowers that are growing now still mean the same thing and still have that same plant spirit and the same plant spirit medicine. So it's still here. It still keeps going. So that's, um, I, I find that just, I just actually got goosebumps when I was thinking about that again. It's, I find that just so intriguing and so fascinating. Every plant and every flower has a message for us that's what you refer to when you say the language of flowers and plants absolutely their message to us and really it's up to us we can use you as our (laughs) (laughs) translator (laughs) oh yes but i do like to teach people to translate for themselves because once you might yeah once it's sort of as i said i'm i'm the start i hopefully i'm a start of a conversation for uh, a lot of people that's what that's my wish but i really because i really know that all of us can hear again the language of plants and flowers and we can understand it we can bring it into our life and we can speak it again to other people so that it continues again because there was a time we had to know it as i said to survive and i think we it, we come to that time again where we do have to relearn that we we need to be there so if i can you know share what my passion my interest is with some people so they take it up again that's yeah that that would be yes <laughs> i'd be so happy well, how did it begin for you were you like born in a you know garden magical garden <laughs> <laughs> Secret Garden, that's my favourite book. Um, well, look, I was I was quite lucky. My parents are really sort of off-the-grid type people. Part of my upbringing was in Balmain in Sydney. And my parents, when, when I was about 11, they sea change or tree change, I suppose you call it, out to the central west of New South Wales. So they actually got a hobby farm. And my dad is a crazy inventor. We had solar power back in the 70s. We had, like, he built it all himself out of those grassroot magazines, flushable toilet out in the middle of nowhere. It was just amazing. And we grew, I'd say, most of our vegetables. Uh, We had a small farm. And and mum and dad worked as well, but, oh, not mum, but dad did. But we just, and there was a lot of, there were six, seven, was it six of us? Six of us. I always get this mixed up. There was one of us that wasn't there. There were six of us. And it was through necessity. But, but yeah, we gardened. And my mum is a, it still is. My mum lives in Queensland. My mum and dad live in Cairns now. And they still garden. And her bat flowers are just to die for. They're amazing. But my mum has always had this amazing green finger. She is also spiritual. She's a tarot reader up there. She's been a tarot reader all her life. So I had that spiritual sort of aspect, the gardening around me. My mum's a wonderful artist as well, uh, and a nature artist, most, mostly animals and beautiful landscapes as well. So I had that around me. But of course, I was the crappy teenager that thought that that was just daggy. I was sick of tie-dye and homemade bread and I just wanted 1980s consumerism for a few years, I'll be quite honest. But then when I had my children, I I came around. I never lost it, but I just, it wasn't a big part of my life from probably, oh gosh, when did I leave home? When, When I was about 17 for a few years. And then it gradually came back. I started, I did discover flower essences and aromatherapy and I suppose crystals as well as, as people do and 
I started remembering my youth with the, and I visited mum and dad, of course, still with the vegetables and the fruits and the flowers and things that we used to grow and the herbs. And mum used a lot of herbal and still does herbal medicines and things. And then when I had my own family, Jenny, of course, you know, many years ago, all of this made complete sense and that's how I wanted to bring up my family. So it just, you know, it all <laughs> sort of came in and the research started as well, which that was a little earlier. So I would have been in my late 20s. I discovered flower essences and aromatherapy. I love both. I thought it was fascinating. I lived in Paddington in Sydney, which was near the Botanical Gardens, the Royal Botanical Gardens. And I just, I love plants. And I'd spent so many days down there drawing and sketching plants and finding out about them and reading botanical books. I just, I was fascinated with the science of botany as well. And things I'd learned on a spiritual plan from my mum and things that I was reading about botanical science just started to gel. Things started to make sense to me. And that was it, you know. Like what? I've got a couple of questions now coming from oh, okay. I found it fascinating the way that people were drawn to certain uh, plants and flowers. I've written about this so many times and how those plants really were things that they needed. When I found out what they meant or what they were for, it was like, wow, like this person's telling me, you know, they like this certain plant or flower and this is what's wrong in their life. And at first it was simple things like, oh my goodness, she loves red roses and she's always getting heartbreaks. Well, that would be easy. I'm sure we've all had heartbreaks and a lot of us like red roses. But I remember I wasn't that familiar with the plant aloe vera and someone I knew had and expressed themselves that they were always getting burnt. I'm always getting burnt. You know, people burn me all the time. And this person loved aloe vera plants, had this thing about them, thought the name was funny and all this. And when I found out therapeutically what they were for, the gel is fantastic for burns and that's what it means and all these things, I was just like, this person didn't even know that. They liked the plant. There wasn't a lot of it being, this was, I'm talking about the 80s now when people, it just started to sort of be around. I mean, it was used for you know, hundreds of years, but Westerners weren't that familiar with it at that time. So it was, those sorts of things were just fascinating to me. And also the way that energy medicine works with plants as well and how they grow, understanding and seeing the meanings that were put with plants and the uses and seeing where they grow, what they did. That, those things just they blew my mind. They still do when I find things. I just go, that's amazing. I shouldn't be so surprised, but I am. It's just such a wonderful, affirming, exciting uh, moment. What you refer to as the science of botany, is that the medicine side or is that the technical growing? The technical growing. It's, yeah, yeah, it's how they grow. It's their seasonal aspect. It's like some, you know, it's like some of our plants need fire, especially in Australia. They need fire to germinate, things like that. Lots of the story, the botanical side is the way things grow and what they're for. And then I'll give you a really good example because I'm looking straight at a picture. It's actually one of my paintings, but I'm looking straight at it and I went, there's a good example. Gaia lily. It's the world's largest lily. It, it's from a, an area called Gaia in Sydney. It just looks like this big ball of red sort of spouting. That's a flower, this big flower head on top of a great big spear. And the spear is, it'd have to be about 12 feet high, like the spear that this grows on. And they call it spear lily as well. And it's this big flower head, which looks like spurting blood, I guess. And if you see one and I tell you that, you'd go, yep, that's what it looks like. Now, it's an indigenous uh, plant to the Sydney Basin area. 
from a place get go, Amelia. So the people of this, the Indigenous Australians of this area, oh, they use every part of this plant as well. It's edible. They use it in making baskets and things. It's medicinal. Every, every part of its use. So, but they feel that when they see it, it means awareness. Now, when this, the beautiful story is that the people of this area, they're inland a little bit on a river plain. And at the time of the year, when food around starts to become scarce, they watch out for the gyamia lily to flower. Now, as I said, it looks like this big, it's a spear with a great spouting red thing on the top. So they look at that and that reminds them of the spouting of whales, you know, the way the whale spout happens. And when they flower, the whales are doing their migration up the coast, like past Sydney, past up and down Sydney. But they know that when they flower, that's when that happens. So then they go down to the out to the coast to get the fish that follow the whales. And I've just found that like, that is just so amazing. But to look at the science of it, this is one part of it, which goes with climate and weather and all these things. There's no other plant in the world that I can think of that is as that large and looks like a whale spouting. <laughs> and it's connected that way and it is spot on and my joke is usually I don't have to worry about the news helicopters telling me the whales are here because honestly if you uh, live in Sydney and you see Gaimia lilies I guarantee that night on the news they're saying oh the whales are here and that's what happens and I'm like okay here is this indication and this connection on a spiritual plane too with these people and this is the way this plant grows and also once the lily goes down they get all their fish they come back then the tubers underneath the ground are ready for them to eat and they can't get the sustenance that carbohydrate sustenance from anywhere else at that time of the year and I'm like mind-blowing <laughs> and they mean awareness get ready get going that's what indigenous people think Gaia Mia Lily means as well so if you see one it means you need to be aware you need to get ready you need to get up get going that's what's happening so I'm like okay <laughs> you know that to me is like that's on one plane of the botanical science one of, I can imagine. Wow, so there's so many. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> intelligence is profound, isn't it? The intelligence is so incredible in nature. You yeah. can't deny it. This is what, you know, they talk about different plants, our medicinal plants, you see. And a lot of people who don't quite, I'm not going to say believe, well, they, they, they haven't experienced enough, I think, of this plant spirit medicine and this, this knowing. And they'll say, look, we found out about these plants and what they can do through trial and error. I can't believe that. There's billions of plants, millions, billions of plants. How can, through trial and error, someone say, oh, you know what, I've got a cut on my leg. I'm just going to rub all the plants here. Well, don't tell me the Roman soldiers rubbed everything. They would have all died by the time they were like, look at that. This is the one that makes your wounds heal up. I mean, people would die. They would, you know, these things would happen. And so I really believe there is something that draws us towards plants, the doctrine of signatures, having a look at how it grows, things like that, and indicating, but we are drawn to recognize that and have that connection as well because sometimes it's not as obvious but and of course you know there are I, I'm not and I'll just quantify this right now please don't anybody who's listening to this go running out and thinking I think this looks like that I'm going to try it because as I said in the beginning, we are so divorced from mm. even me. You know, we just are from, from our birthright, from nature, that we don't have that knowing anymore, but we're relearning it. So don't take anything, rub anything on yourself, whatever, unless it has been 
properly identified by a professional or you've bought the plant yourself from someone and it has identified it. So no experimenting with plants, please. But <laughs> but this this is how we found out about these things, how they could heal us, how the, how they could nourish us. It couldn't have been all trial and error. Otherwise, I don't think any of us would be here. And how do animals know, you know? <laughs> Saddens me in a way that the need to even say that, and it, it is true though, in a collective sense, the collective yeah. consciousness, we haven't quite returned yeah. back to that awareness as yet. Yeah. Um, I was on a walk this afternoon with my husband, and he picked up a mushroom, and he's like, mm -hmm. and we're looking at it, and we're like, <laughs> it's just that if we get it wrong, <laughs> the consequences, and he says, well, it could be magical. I said, well, they're not too bad, the consequences, because we'll come back, but we just don't know. Yeah, we, yeah, you don't. And the problem is now as well, Jenny, is there's so much hybridisation that, that goes on and, and, and that this is crossbreeding and things like that with, with different plants that it's, it, be, it has become hard to identify plants and so much so. And I do get this quite a lot and, and I have to have a smile. I get these blurry photographs of a close-up of a flower or a leaf and it's like, Sherilyn, what's this? And I'm like, well, let me have a look. <laughs> and the thing is, and I know that's sweet and I think it's lovely that people think that I would know everything. Well, I don't. I did study botany at Nature Care College for, for quite a while. And I remember my botany teacher, she was a wonderful lady and she was from the Royal Botanical Garden. And she said that, you know, you should never feel bad about not being able to identify plants because sometimes two plants can look incredibly similar be growing in in almost the same spot and they can yet be different plants if they're not the same and she said there's a whole department at the botanic gardens that just tests dna of plants for identification and she said you know for 60 dollars anybody can send in plant material and have it tested and there's a backlog there's so many and and most of the people sending them in is professional gardeners so never feel bad because it is hard to identify everything and the through the the hybridization and crossbreeding and that it has become harder so yeah good thing not to eat the mushroom <laughs> just <in case. laughs> and you know there's been some horrible things uh, in the last few years with mushrooms it was in canberra a few years ago where people thought that they were the the, the happy magical kind and they were the death magical kind <laughs> a not so fun trip no <laughs> you were quite blissfully immersed as a child into gardening. Yes. And yes. um, how important would you say it is for our children today, mums today too? Really it's a skill. Yeah, it's a skill that they, it should be just taught. And I love that it's being taught in schools. I, I get the happy, happy, joy smile when I drive. And I drove past a couple of schools today. I had to go to uh, another city today. And I saw so many schools with gardens and that's fantastic you know uh, that's really really good that they're teaching those skills and the same as we can do that at home and I'm terrible I'm I don't have grandchildren uh yet <laughs> but any any children that I know I always give them presents of little pot plants to grow and I just think it's an important skill it's a life skill it's like to me it's like cooking cleaning it, these are just basic skills and it's a basic skill that you should be taught how to grow a few things a few herbs you know tomatoes or lettuce and also making it fun i mean it's so easy to make it fun as well it's i look at it uh, what do they call those tamagotchi virtual pets are coming back in again it's like here it is it's like a live tamagotchi virtual pet to look after see what you can do and make look this i haven't been a mum to little kids for a long time but i'm top of my head i can think of a, a heaps of ways you could make it fun to teach that skill the same as you make other things fun to teach that skill and 
It can be done with a window box. There's plants that can be put in kids' bedrooms that are safe as well. And look, just touching on that, I heard a lot of, there was a lot of people worried when one of the big supermarket chains bought out little plants for kids to, they were like a gift sort of thing, a, a prize thing. And they're worried about potting mix. And I heard a lot about this and people were worried. I don't think I want to teach my kids to garden because I'm worried about potting mix. Mm. And I thought to myself, okay, I read a few things. I don't know if it was fake news, but I'd just like to address it <laughs> anyway. The same as you teach a child not to run around the house with scissors. When they're using potting mix, you tell them to go outside, you put a mask on them, a pair of gloves. That's how they open a thing of potting mix. You teach them how to use protection and, and tools safely because things can be used safely. They're not, you shouldn't alienate children from things like that. You, you don't, tell your kids no you can never cut a piece of paper because you might hurt yourself with scissors it's a, it's exactly the same you should look after yourself in the same way as your kids teach them teach them how to do things and supervise them that's the other thing as well and it just keeps that connection alive yeah. and yeah. the awareness so children yep. know where their food's coming from even yes they get, a, they get a sense and experience of it as opposed to you know a supermarket mm. shelf the one straw revolution you must have read that oh yes <laughs> i love that book and also with permaculture do you you follow these pretty much these are your principles right like they you- are they are well as much as i can in my own funny little ways i do <laughs> so everything in my garden is completely organic to mm. start with mm. uh and then permaculture it, i'm introducing it that's it i'm smiling to myself because i have a brother who is off the grid in uh, the central west near mudgy and he's all put permaculture and everything and i'm not permaculture enough but i am getting myself that way jenny i'm getting myself but uh but we have to do and this is the other thing of not beating ourselves up like don't who else i was speaking to my sister-in-law today as well about she was talking about eco she's changed all of her cling wrap over to to reusable things and beeswax wraps today and she said she used to think it was silly uh, how can one person but she said look it, it can do that with one person one person can start to do things and do what you can and do it consciously i mean some things are expensive it's expensive to do a whole permaculture perfect garden with a you know what is a napery with the bees and your own honey that's expensive that's time consuming but do what you can and do it well and then slowly bring it around to you know better and do better all the time this is i'm, I'm always improving and i always say that when people read my books and i you know they meet me or i teach it's like i am not the guru of gardening <laughs> i'm i'm just as passionate as you are and i'm on a path i don't think there is anyone i've never met no, no, i'm going to disagree you are the guru of gardening <laughs> you do know a lot i think just to be fair like for the people that are listening there is a lot of good information in in what you offer i know you've got online courses you've got so many books and the cards, I guess they step more into an intuitive zone as well for, you know, like... Yeah, and prescriptive. They, they, they align completely with aromatherapy, herbal medicine and all those things. So to me, that they're, they're another, they're a stepping stone between as well. They're a connection and a connection for people to recognise plants. That's why I made them as well. There is a little guru there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cliche, the journey, but it is. Gardening's a path. Gardening's a doing thing and a gardener is a doing person. It's, it never ends. We're, it's a 
cyclic thing where it, we're forever going from spring, summer, winter, autumn, fall, the whole thing all the time. And that's, that's great. That's the, there is no end and there is no you know, top of anything. That's how I feel about it. It is. And it is a learning curve and, ah. and it happens over time. But I want to, I want to bring to the importance of organic can you think about that a bit? Because, I mean, I know with One Straw Evolution and with the work you do, it is so important, isn't it, for us to, and it, it's not everywhere, obviously, but for those that are keeping their home gardens organic. Uh, yeah. Would, and, and also, I'm just going to go back. When you said the potting mix could be dangerous for children, yep. what was that about? Like, I, I oh, sorry. To, okay. So don't, don't, get, don't get go freaking out because it's not organic. It, I only use organic <laughs> And I create my own soils as well. But okay, so if the potting mix is organic, there's no risk. Is that right? Of course there is. Of course there's still a risk. And it, it's organic. It's like anything. It's, um, there's a risk. There are microbes that live within the soil. They can be quite potent. Oh, right? my gosh. They can, they can be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And even though you've got organic um, potting mix or things like that, within a container even in a pile even the soil that you make in the compost and things that you make yourself can still have those microorganisms that that are no good for you to breathe okay so that's why i wear a face mask when i deal with those sorts of things and dig things over and i have a pair of gloves uh mm. and and that's it i i do wear glasses but if i didn't wear glasses i'd say wear a pair of safety glasses when you're doing those things so you don't get things into your eyes it's just to me it's just common sense i do put my hands into the earth and that once it's been out but if something's been contained, things grow, microorganisms grow within that. So even, as I said, organic, even things you make yourself, of course. So there is an element of uh, safety with all that. It doesn't make it less likely to have those things if it's organic at all. In fact, it might even make it more likely because it's nice and living. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and but it, the, the likelihood of you catching one of those things is very remote, even if you didn't have gloves and that. But... You, know, you should. That's the thing. It's just one of those sorts of things. It's it's something that you should be aware of. The major ones, Legionnaire's disease, that's what we worry about. You do probably have more of a chance of catching it from a dirty air conditioning vent in an office building. <laughs> However, you know, let's be safe. Let's err on the side of caution with that, of course. You know, the same as I'm not going to go out into the garden and, and start cutting back my zucchini plants that, that, are, that are over and done for the year and that and moving things off. They're all spiky and they make me really itchy. You know, I've got my long gloves on, you know, because I don't want to have a horrible, almost like poison ivy itch all over me. So it's just common sense and actually knowing first as well because you know about it. So you just look after yourself and, and keep it safe. But organic is, oh, is that what's the question? Organic easy? Is that what it was? <laughs> how important, how important it is. Absolutely vital, absolutely vital. Um, not only for your own food, I don't want to eat chemicals and I certainly don't want to introduce it into my uh, environment. I also have uh, owls in my environment. Owls eat small rodents, they eat snails and things. I'm not going to start baiting things and, and doing that because they're going to, this is a horrible thing. People, um, you know, they, and sometimes I do have, some mice and things in my my garden and that just because of where i am and i've got sunflowers you know planted a little less this year because i was like don't want to play so you've got to be sensible with all these things but i'm not going to start throwing rat sack and snail poison and all this non-organic crap around because those other you you're part you've then being part of a cycle you're then these things that die then you've got wildlife that eats it then they die then also whatever you put down goes into the water table i'm i'm near a lake that you, you might think and i think this is i know this is the problem i've spoken to gardeners 
uh, in the area who use that stuff and say, oh, I don't use much. And it's like, well, you, you think you don't use much, but that keeps, you know, we, if we all, you know, we all use it, you know, this is the thing. You just shouldn't be using it and you don't want it in for yourself and you don't want it. It doesn't disappear. It's in, it goes down into the water table and also it soaks into the soil. It disrupts, it kills, all those things kill the good microorganisms that we want as well. So, Organic means not having perfect vegetables all the time and fruits and things, but it's being safe, safe for you, safe for the environment. And, and it's, look, it is hard. It's harder, you know, because things aren't perfect all the time. The same as fertilizers and all that. I make all my own things. But, yeah, it's like a payoff. I'm, I'm happier. Yeah, I'm happier to have something nice and, and not poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> no, just not being poisoned and not poisoning the, the creatures. Nature. Yeah. That's, but there is a perfection in the imperfection and oh. it does work itself out uh, without yeah. chemicals. I mean, it just wasn't naturally meant to be that way. I think it's more the commercial side of growing I, that really... I, yeah, I think, well, I, think, I know so. It's just, mm. you know, like I don't get tons and tons and tons of tomatoes on my vines because I don't, I don't spray them with tomato dust. You know, I use some of my cover oh, with these, all these awful things. I make up my own little concoctions that it's organic and all those sorts of things, my little recipes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And okay, I don't have the biggest tomatoes in the world and I don't have as many. I have enough for myself, enough to share around, but that's okay. You know, maybe have to cut some off because he's got a, you know, someone's had a bit of a nibbles on it or whatever. But what I've got, I know that it makes me happy because it, it comes from a good place. And in nature, you know, that that's how it would be. If I was out in out somewhere in the forest where wild tomatoes, no, that's a <laughs> joke, where wild tomatoes were growing, you know, they wouldn't be perfect. They no, just wouldn't be. Cheryl, and what is the story with celery? I, I've grown celery and it looks nothing like, not even any close to what is in what the is, it, is it all straggly and it's not it's all straggly and really thin and it's but i must say it tastes delicious and this is the other thing that with this imperfection of vegetables yes. yes. well there is a trick there's a trick to celery there's a trick to celery yeah. you maybe you can tell it tell me that way i don't know the trick to say, well, that's how it's supposed to look, what you're eating there. But if you wanted to look like supermarket straight, this is, and this is good because this is an organic way to do it and all that, you get mm-hmm. some cardboard, some brown cardboard, and you wrap it around the celery so mm-hmm. that it stands up nice and straight and you tie it like a bunch and then it keeps growing as it gets to sort of a, a height and it keeps growing and it also stops it getting bitter as well. So that's what you do and it and will clump it up together. So once it gets to a certain height, you can have, have a Google for some people pictures jenny and you'll see it and you'll go oh and it's like it's uh, what do they even call it it's just yeah it's like wrapping growing celery i think they'll say something like that so yeah it thickens it up it makes it grows really straight and strong and that's it but um and it will stop it going bitter in case yours has been going bitter too so no no it's still it tasted great i juiced oh, it yeah. delicious yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, just, it just didn't look anything like what mm. what well there you go that's that's it you seem to wrap them up and tie them up and that that can do but yeah or just eat it like it's it's supposed to grow that's all and through hybridization also our celery's gotten taller and that's why it goes up there and falls down it's the same as our um what flower is it that falls over all the time the gerberas you know 
the first ones didn't have such big heads on them, big flowers. And that's why when they get to a certain point, they fall over. The same as gladdies and things like that. They all fall over now and we have to stake them. And that's because we've been crossbreeding them so much. To, oh, we want big, tall, we want gerbers with big, heavy heads. We, and I know in floristry, we have to put, we're supposed to put a wire to, to keep them wide and, and staying up because otherwise they fall down. And same as you have to stake those other things. You know, in nature, there's no goddess of the stake going around and staking up the gladiolis. <laughs> it's just that we're breeding them that way. That's also, look, I could be wrong, but I have, you've given me something to research. I'm like, was celery once shorter than it is now? <laughs> maybe it was, or maybe it was just this scrappy looking vegetable, you know, maybe. I want to know what you've got to say about bees. You, you're so in love with flowers. Yes. You must be in love okay, with Okay, so maybe this is a little controversial for bees. Right. <laughs> no, I do, like, I do like bees. I do like honeybees. But, look, I'm more of a native bee lover. I, I really am. And where I, where I live now, we're just like, ah, oh, we have so many native bees, it's amazing. But I think that the problem in Australia is that, most people think they've never seen a native bee, but they have. That they what they think is a little wasp or a little fly, or you know, oh, that's a really weird beetle flying around with glossy wings or whatever. They're actually our native bees, so that's another challenge. Go and look at all the pictures mm -hmm. of native bees, and you'll be surprised. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but look, native bees don't make as much honey. Uh, honey bees, European honey bees. Yep, that's the honey we like to eat, and they they make a lot. The problem I see, and some people do as well, is that. The honeybee can, and it does, in the environment of the native bee, it steals its food. <laughs> so the poor native you know, bees. Honey set aside. Honey set aside. I actually not not. I'm just referring to bees as in their their part in the play. Their part. Oh, their whole part. Well, what? yes, they're so vitally important, and we have to look yeah. after them. Yeah. We have to look after them. Yeah. I absolutely adore. As so I'm that's just, what I thought. You were going to get oh, so excited. I thought when you said that you were go. I, I was going. Oh no! Look, I do like the honeybees, and there's a place, but they need to be put in their little place. I mean, need to bees. I mean, one time I was <laughs> reading and learning that if the bees weren't doing what they were doing, yes. So many foods we would be missing out on. We would. And and our native bees, with so many plants and foods that feed our native animals would also. And the honeybees mm -hmm. go, our native bees will start going as well. Rest assured mm -hmm. that will happen. But our bees are so vitally important. What's happening now with them all dying off? I mean, gosh, there's lots of different theories and a lot of it's got to do. I know I, I sort of am a, a bit of a believer in this, our meddling all the time with, um, you know, genetics of plants and things like that as well. There's like it's just we need the bees. We we need our pollen. We need all of our pollinators. You know we do. We need our butterflies and moths. I, I love the fact that when well, it's true, the bees are probably the most important because they are the big hungry eaters. They're big pollinators. But if they go, our other pollinators also. Like I can't see them. Just it, it, it's dangerous to everything. You've got to think about it. There's more than just the bee pollinators. So I know I worry all the time, and I love them. But and I and I have all my I have hives, so, but I have insect hotel and native bee hives. That's something everybody should do, even if you've only got two pot plants. Is make it's so easy. Have a look online how to do it. Make an insect hotel or a native bee hive thing. It's just like little little sticks. That's all you need to do to encourage them. What we can do is we'll include a link. That sounds actually quite important. Something I'd like to do, and mm. I will include a link. For mm can direct people to do to do that or how to do that do you have 
something on your website or you could perhaps direct us to I somewhere. I could do that. Yes, I could do that. That's not we'll, a problem. We'll do that and we'll pop it in your podcast notes because mm-hmm. that does sound good because I agree. I mean, I think we should be worshipping the bees, really. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they keep everything going for us. That's the whole thing. Yeah, because if things, it's, well, that, that, that's it. It's, um, I, I do have this complete fascination with flowers as well. I adore flowers. I love all plants, but I love, I, love all, I love the plants and I love the flowering plants and the flowers of them. But the bottom line is flowers are the sexual part of plants. That's what they are. And our bees and our pollinators, they are attracted to the flowers so that, that our plants can keep going. That's what it's all about. So it's um, it's just something that, yeah, we should be all taking more of more notice of. And that's probably why I, I think I'm, I was going to say, I think I'm like a bee. Maybe I am. I love flowers so much because I, I know the importance of them. And I think people misconstrue that with some people when they say they love flowers. I love them. I love the look of them, the aesthetics of them, but I, I love the importance of them as well. If things don't flower, the flowering plants, which is most of the plants on earth, yeah, they're going to they're gonna die. That's it. They have to. A cycle. A cycle. And it is a cycle. And that's the indication to the bees to come and pollinate. That's it. You can't love bees without loving flowers. They go hand in hand. That's and then this, and this whole beautiful cycle of reproduction occurs and really that's what it's all about. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. What a beautiful, beautiful sharing, Sherilyn. Thank you so much. Now, I want to ask you about lion heart. Tell me, what does it mean to you to have a lion heart? What does it mean to me? Well, I am a Leo, okay? So it means probably a lot. But honestly, the term lion heart to me means having a tenacity about you that you don't give up, that you keep going. I've always felt lion hearted because I, I've, look, I've had many more failures than I have successes, many, many more. But I've never given up on my passion, which is plants mm. and the environment, uh, my whole life, really. I mean, there's a little tiny click there for a couple of years in my early 20s. But, but, but even then, I've still felt that being connected with that lion-hearted energy means not giving up, means trying again, getting back up again, being brave, courageous, loyal, and being so true with your word and your actions as well. Like I would be mortified to be any other way, and it's I find it incredibly important actually to be lion-hearted. It's a value to me. So uh, I love that your podcast is called Lionheart, and so thanks for having me on. Such a wonderful oh, it drew me to it straight away. I was thinking, oh. yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. The sort of energy I just I love and I aspire to. So thanks, thank you, and that's why I asked that question because it's so nice to hear people's different perspectives and experience of the. Lionheart. I didn't realize that was going to happen, but I have found it is actually very attractive to many. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's good. There you go. You've, you've, you, that's it. You must have felt that energy was, was there and needed and, and to be shared. That's fantastic. There's something in everyone. I think there's, I, be, I feel there's a Lionheart in everyone what, yes. and what, what it means to each of us personally. Yes. Differ, but there is a Lionheart in mm-hmm. all of so, And you certainly have expressed yourself with your heart, through your passion. It is so beautiful to see. I mean, I've lost count. How many books and oracle cards? I think I know I've finished my 25th and I've the, I think it's the 15th is about to be published, which is the language of houseplants and the Greenwich Oracle's coming out soon too. So 
Yeah. <laughs> and these are available, the language of houseplants, are you saying it's about to come out or it's already come yes. out? No, no, no. It comes out in April worldwide. So that's uh, with my publishers, Rockpool Publishing, and my books are distributed around the world by Simon & Schuster, uh, Redwill Wiser as well. A couple of my decks are with uh, US Game System. And, but Rockpool Publishing, they're my home publisher. They have everything. They know everything about me and where it's at. But, yeah, The Language of Houseplants comes out in mid-April. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, me too. That sounds fantastic. And I will pop all those links as well into your podcast blog. And I will just say thank you so much for your time today for sharing your creative passion and I do encourage our listeners to go and have a look at your work and I say look because there is a very very incredible visual aspect as well as the learning and the reading there's a visual aspect to your work that is that creativity that you talk about and that you express so magically <laughs> thanks Jenny thanks for having me on your wonderful podcast thank you my absolute pleasure Cheryl and thank you so much Thank you for spending your precious time listening to this podcast. I really do hope that you enjoyed. You can find some helpful links related to the topics we have discussed, download some freebies and join our Lionheart community by visiting our website lionheartworkshops.com. To view this specific podcast blog, click on podcast at the main menu. Please also share this with friends, hit subscribe and leave us a review so that these ideas can continue to spread. Those pretty little stars help others to find us. The Lionheart Podcast and Lionheart Online Workshops is an online platform and community designed to enhance your health, natural and spiritual well-being. Until next time, please think about how you will embody your Lionheart and reach your highest potential as the amazing human being that you are.